0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Man, All right. You guys can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right. That's not, not too bad. Um... Thankful for the refreshment team as always, but especially thankful, iced coffee, I had two cups. So if I start yelling at you, don't take offense, it's a coffee, I promise, all right? Um, As we we looked at the past today, I I want us to talk about uh, something specific, obstacles, right? To get in Naomi's way. Um, And and, and specifically, as we've been talking about the, the mission, right? The gospels, we've been talking about this whole series. Is our life right? The the place that God planted you, including right here, right now, right? I, I had a a, um, a lady come up to me after the nine who doesn't typically come here because she's visiting family, and she said, you know, I didn't realize it, but but then I I, I do. I, God orchestrated me to be here for this reason, and she went on to tell me what that was. So, so everything, but where more specifically, where your family, your marriage, your, this even year that we're in, the time we're in, the community, town, city we live in, God has orchestrated that right? For a purpose. And so we're talking about that. Live out the gospel. Live out the mission in our marriage. Let it fuel our uh, on campus or in our school and our family, our parenting, our workplace, community. When you go to the park with your kids or uh, grandkids or the beach, right? To live that mission, we're going to expect persecution, right? There's going to come obstacles. I began with four of these, but one broke last service, so we only got three. It might be an obstacle of, as we've been talking about, being pushed out of the cool group, right? Like, like you, you believe all that stuff, like you're weird. Or you get passed over for a promotion. Or lose your job. Or lose a friend. Some people have lost family. Right? It could be an obstacle of even your health and safety, as we'll see the apostles. And even, maybe not as much in our culture, but you never know, your very life. And the idea is, the mission is a race that we're called to persevere despite the persecution and what carries that so we're going to see today what carries that the bus that carries that is supernatural joy and what that is and how important it is all right so let's pray as we look at this passage in Acts together father we do ask you lord we know you have us here for a reason each one of us Whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever maybe our plans were even for today to not be here, here we are. And it's not by accident. I thank you for that. Lord, I know you know far better than I that there is lots this represented in this room and those joining us online that, that there's so much of obstacles to living out our faith. Some are huge storms, some are small, subtle ways that can be knock us off course. So God, I pray that this truth would give, including me, every one of us, courage and faith and joy that will carry us to persevere through the persecution and obstacles that come our way. Lord, bless your truth to impact our lives this morning in a real, eternal, significant way that we leave here changed more like Christ. And it's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so um, if you uh, are gonna follow along, we put it on the screen, but if you're gonna follow along, we're finishing up Acts 5, uh, it starts in verse 33, so you can turn there. Um, If you wanna use the Pew Bibles, you can. If you do not own a Bible or know someone who doesn't own a Bible, right, like a neighbor, you've been, I've been meaning to pick him up or her up a Bible, take one of ours. We would love to just restock it. Uh, We want people to have God's word. and so uh as we we pick up the action if this were a you know amazon prime series or hulu or whatever your streaming channel is if you don't know what that is you're probably old all right that's probably all it is it's okay we'll tell we'll we'll explain it but like just think tv show right That, that it left it on a cliffhanger you're like oh i can't wait till you know next tuesday when that comes out right right in the middle of the action remember this This mission's been given by Jesus. It's flourishing. The church in Jerusalem's blown up. People are coming to Christ left and right. Demons are being driven out. People are being healed. Crazy, awesome mission is being fulfilled. And yet, here comes the opposition. And what we've seen is in the form of the highest Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. And this council, which you can also see in the Gospels dealing with Jesus, is led by the high priest. And it's a mixture of high Jewish spiritual authorities. Typically, it's the majority of it, or what's called the Sadducees. The minority party that that make it up are called Pharisees. And I know if you're kind of familiar with those terms, we sort of sometimes use those interchangeably, but they're not. Like the Sadducees, the majority party, they like their political favor, right? They didn't want to lose that they actually had, the, the, the Pharisees had far more in common, get this, with Christians, theologically speaking, than they did with Sadducees. Right? Sadducees believed in the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah, and that's it. Right? They don't believe in, a, in a, a, a ne- the next life. This is it. And they don't believe in a coming Messiah. Pharisees completely disagreed with them. If you ever notice, by the way, in the Gospels, when Jesus is arguing with Sadducees, it's usually theological. right? You're wrong in this. When he's arguing with the Pharisees, it's usually not. They usually have theological knowledge. It's how they're living it out, right? You're hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombstones, right? That's what you are. Brood of vipers, because you know the theology. You're not living it out. And so that's what this council is. And if you remember, if you were with us last week, the cliffhanger was this. The apostles have been told repeatedly, stop preaching Jesus. And they just keep doing it. So they haul all 12 in this time, right? And they charge them. They're like, hey. You got to stop preaching Jesus. You got to stop it. Stop the mission, basically, that Jesus gave you. And, and, and so Peter, kind of with the apostles, gives this really great speech, summed up, right? I'll just sum it up from last week. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That right, sums it up. Like, we're not trying to fight with God. We're not looking to have a big fight here. We just, like, in the end, God, man, we're going with God, right? And so so we're left going, oh, how's the council going to react? Will they be impacted? Well, maybe they'll follow Christ. No, that's not going to happen. In fact, this is what happens in verse um, 33. When they heard this, the council, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. That word enraged, it actually could be translated to be sawn in two, right? That this has, has so, like, preaching the name of Jesus and saying, you're trusting God, not man. Like, that's, that's just sawing them in two, not physically, but just ugh, in every other way, right? So much that they're like, we gotta kill these people. If you're ever found so angry, even if you're right, that you are sawn in two by it and wanna kill someone, you need to breathe, right? You just step back, take a breath. And it's a good thing that they had cooler heads in the form of a Pharisee named Gamaliel who stood up and kind of got him calmed down. If not, it might not have went really well. But it said, this uh, Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So Gamaliel, we know from Jewish history. He was a very famous Pharisee. So it was his son and grandson. Um, very held high esteem with his theological knowledge and the way he lived it out. And so, so he, he had, even though he was in a part of the minority party of the council, he had a lot of sway. He really did. He was able to say, all right, hold up. Put them out. We got to talk. And they actually listened to him, right? And so after the apostles leave, he gives two examples that he thinks are helpful for how to deal with Christians. So he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you do with these, about what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Right? So Jesus is killed too, right? So what's he saying? I think the pattern will repeat itself. He gives a second example from their history. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Right? So Gamaliel's really smart here, but it's also, does he really believe that this is of God or is of man? Probably he doesn't think, but he's just like, hey, why are we going to kill these dudes? Why don't we let the Romans do it? That's usually how this plays out, especially if it's truly not of God, which he clearly doesn't think it is. But then he does give this caveat. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, probably because he held such sway with the people and that's why the Sadducees would often listen to the Pharisees, even though they had the majority, because the Pharisees were well, way more held in regard, high regard with the people, whereas the Sadducees were more interested in Rome and, and the emperor and how much power they had. And so they're like, okay, we should listen to this guy. He's like, hey, let's let God take care of it. If they're truly of man, he'll get rid of them. Clearly, uh, Gamaliel is one of his most famous students that we know. is called Sar, Saul. You might know him as Paul. And he was a student. Clearly, he wouldn't agree with his teacher on this issue because he himself would kill Christians and be a part of that before God radically transformed them. And so, okay, so we get to this place. They take his advice. So sort of they're just like, all right, see you later. No, no, no. This time, the warning is going to come with something. It's a great cost. Look, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let him go. So there it is again. Simple guys. We've said it to you once, said it to you a million times. Stop preaching Jesus. Knock it off. And just so you remember this message this time, they gave him a vicious beating. Most think that this was the classic Jewish punishment, which they called 40 less one. And the reason they call it that is in Deuteronomy, part of the law was that, that uh, God says you can, you can whip someone up to 40 times. After that, it's against the law. And so they're so careful about following the law. What if we miscount? So they did 39 just in case they missed one in there and they couldn't break the law. So they would whip you 39 times. And this is basically how they would do it. Uh, you, you would be brought and put on your knees. They took this whip that had like three different leather sort of straps right on the end. And they'd slash you twice on the back, once on the front. Twice on the back, once on the front. And they'd go 39 times. Right? Some, some of us today, you wouldn't survive that. Elderly, you got health issues. There there was record documented people, they just don't survive it. And so this is not a slap on the wrist. This is not, and it's so important for you to understand that, right? This is not like a, Come on, guys, stop preaching Jesus. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't, I don't think so. This was, they are going to leave here full of their own blood, bruises that will turn into scars they will carry for the rest of their life. Some of them wasn't that long, but they would. They have a scar across their front, across their back. And so they're limping, right? So, so, so it says when, when, they, when they leave, so it says they, in verse 41, they left the presence of the council. How'd they do that? They file a complaint with the governor. They're crying and whining. Were they relieved and running and scared? It says, look at this word, this verb, they leave dripping their own blood, full of their own bruises, rejoicing. That's a verb, and it means to burst forth or express the noun which you're full of Joy. Joy. They're rejoicing in the face of such pain. Right? Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's an oxymoron. It's like me saying, oh, you're wicked awesome. Well, which is it? Right? But it's on purpose. An oxymoron is like, that's the exact opposite. Like, like, all right, were they counted worthy or did they suffer dishonor? Because that's exact... Opposite ends of the spectrum. The answer is both. They suffered dishonor from men, but they were counted worthy by Christ. Here's a question What is the main driving point for your life? Is it to be honored by men or is it to be honored by Christ? Sometimes those two can go along, but usually they can't. Usually they're opposites. We have to choose obey God or obey man. Flourish in my reputation before people? Or Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. They rejoiced, not because they're masochists and like pain. They rejoiced because they knew Christ said, well done. And here's the result after they leave. Remember, the whole point is stop it. Stop preaching Jesus. So maybe they'll just kind of limit it, you know, for Sunday mornings. And every day in the temple, so that's public, kind of like here. Those are public corporate gatherings. And privately too, from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They kept going. The obstacles, the persecution, they persevered. They kept going. And the bus that carries that, that's what I want you to hear, right? That's why we spent so much time on that word, right? That what drives perseverance? What bus will get you through those obstacles in your life? And the answer is joy, joy. This is a concept that even if you're not sure where you are with God, you'll understand. Like, think about anything in life that you gut out, that you persevere, that you see through. Why do you do it? Because the result, or whatever you're looking for, is worth it, right? How many of you have had kids? Raise your hand. All right, guys, you should put your hand down. We didn't have no kids, you know. We just uh... No, but you did, right? So, so you had kids. Like, like I think about um, when uh, my son Nathan, when, I, you know, again, Heather did all the heavy lifting, of course. But I had a front row seat, right, to her pregnancy. That wasn't easy. At least that's what she said. Didn't seem it. Labor, that wasn't easy. And he's born, Everyone's was like, oh, look, he's so cute. They put Nathan on this like worming table. I'll never forget, the first thought in my mind was, wow, my son looks like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Second thought, we're not winning any Gerber contests, I guarantee you that. Third thought, you are gonna make a terrible father, why are you thinking things like this, right? <laughs> and then, and you think I make that up, this is exactly the, the way it went. It's better than when Grace was born, I thought, wow, she looks like my roommate, Joe, from college. That, that wasn't good. Um, And and, uh, thankfully, she's beautiful now. But that wasn't the case. So, so then, so then we take him home, right? And we have this baby. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, let's just be honest. Oh, it's so good. Some of you are baby people. Well, like, what do we do? He didn't let us sleep for three months, right? It was painful. And yet, three years later, we did it again. Why? Some of you people really love it. I mean, look at the parking lot after that. We got buses out there you had to buy to bring your kids to church, right? You go to the beach and you get a rope. Come on, kids, because you're not even sure how many kids you got at this point. So we don't want to lose. Or you uh, you go to a amusement park. Oh, let's be cute and give them uh, T-shirts. We'll all match. It's a uniform because you're not sure how many kids you really have, right? Why do we do this? Some of you have only children. You're like, hey, we were smart, right? All right. But no, because in the end, the pain, not just of, of labor and the baby stage, the whole thing, there's a lot of pain in parenting. It's worth it because we usually love them. We always love them. We usually like them. But it's worth it, right? So that's why you're like, oh, I'm going to do that again because it's worth it. You, otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Anytime I see a, a, a couple that's been married over like 60 years, you should do this. I, it's not usually that many, right? I'll ask them, hey, were there seasons in your marriage where you're like, I don't think we're going to make it? It's cold, it's hard, it's difficult. You know what they say every time? Oh, yeah, many, many. So how did they get here? See, their loyalty and love for one another was worth it. The perseverance. If you're too young for those examples, why do you go to the gym? You want to you uh, be fair. You want to win the game. So it's worth working out. Right? So that's this concept, except it's on the grandest scale possible. What drives perseverance? It's supernatural joy. Right? The idea that, that we look and we gotta understand this joy is patterned after Christ Himself. I'm not gonna put it on the screen, but I want to read from you for you. Um, it's a passage a lot of you are gonna recognize, but if not, it'll be great, it'll be new for you. It's from the book of Hebrews, it's in chapter 12. It gives us this exact concept, hear me. The writer says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Run, with what? Endurance. The race that is set before us. He's saying, every one of you have been planted by God. You have a life to live and it's a race. And he says, it's going to be hard. There's sins, there's temptations, there's things that knock you off course. Run. Keep running the race. But, verse 2 tells us how to do that. How can we possibly do that? He says this, looking to Jesus. That's how you do it. Why? Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's already ran it perfectly. Look to him. Who, and this is how he did it. For the joy. There it is, is. what I want you to hear. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is crazy, right? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus endured the cross. And what drove that? Joy. Joy of the mission of salvation. I want, we need to make sure we don't mince words. We need to understand what this is saying. Like Jesus, when he took on flesh, let's be clear, he never ceased to be fully God. It's a beautiful mystery, hard for us to grasp, but he never did. He's always fully God. But, He took completely on, fully man, fully human. So he thirsted, he hungered, he got tired, he wept at funerals, he he, he felt loneliness, he felt the greatest, just uh, worst rejection by his closest friend, like all of that. In ways that, man, some of us have never experienced, he experienced all of it. So, when it says, he endured the cross, right, he was arrested for something he didn't do. He was slapped and beaten and spit on. He had whole crowds of people, many of whom he had healed, or seen him heal people, scream, kill him, kill him. And then they scourged him, which makes the apostles' whipping look like a little slap on the wrist which exhausted him to the point where he was supposed to carry his own torture device and he needed help. Fully human, enduring the cross with joy. But that's not the worst of it. You see, the night before, a lot of you know this, but remember, the night before as he prayed in the garden, we're told he had such anguish about what was facing that his capillary split and his own sweat was tinted with his own blood. That's how much anguish, but why? It wasn't the physical tortures of the cross, I don't think. I'm sure he wasn't looking forward to that. It was a spiritual torture. When he cried out and quoted Psalm 22, he, he was saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? That for the first time, eternity past, present, future, the father was completely separated from the son. And he was pouring his wrath of on sin that should have been for you and me. That on that cross, that he was enduring with joy, he was suffering the horrors of hell. Think about it. Why would that give him joy? Because he knew, if he takes the horrors of hell, you won't have to. I won't have to. I deserve to, but I don't have to. And so he endured the agonies of the cross, and it was joy that drove him through it. It was supernatural joy. That's why we say he is the name above all names, and we will praise him. And if we don't, rocks will, because he's worthy, he's worthy. Because in joy drove that endurance. And so the Hebrews writer says, "Your life right now, where you're planted, where you are, you have a race." And there's obstacles and there's pains and snares. And he says, run. But look to Jesus. What did he do? He endured the cross because of the joy of the mission. And so you can too. And so can I. And so the idea here, if, if you want to learn how to best kind of go through these obstacles, right? If, if joy is what drives perseverance, then we need to be pursuing joy. We need to be pursuing joy. And so this brings me to something that I've preached to you hundreds of times, probably, and it'll be hundreds more. Because in America, we have a mission statement, basically, that you and I have the freedom to pursue happiness, right? And I think you should have that freedom, and I would defend it. You need to, you should have that freedom. But as your pastor, I say, don't let that be your life's pursuit. Happiness is shallow. I pray for many happy times. For you and me. Those are good gifts from God. I'm not saying they're bad. All I'm saying is don't let that be about your pursuit in life. As a Christian, your pursuit is for joy, not happiness. Pursue that. What's the big difference? The big difference is that joy is rooted in the gospel. And I use that word on purpose. I think of trees and roots. Have you ever said, I I have this... uh, sunroom at my house and so the whole wall is glass and you can look out to the, and it's not too far away but our, we have some wood surrounding and a tree line there. And have you ever looked out a window like a thousand times at house and then you see something and it's like, whoa, something isn't right here. Well, One morning, this is like early winter before it snowed or anything but late fall, early winter, I, I, I came down in the morning and I looked out and I was like, what is, what's, there was like this huge mass at the tree line and I'm like, what is that? So I actually had to go out because I didn't have my glasses on, you know? And I looked, and I realized it was all the roots of this tree that had been there. And that night, we'd had some rain, so it kind of saturated the ground and a little bit of wind, but not a hurricane, people, you know? I'm like, oh, my gosh, the whole thing had just fallen over, thankfully, into the woods, not under my yard, right? And I was like, wow, that's crazy how weak and shallow these roots have to be. That is the roots of happiness, have you ever seen a white oak? They can grow to be 100 feet in the air. Huge. They can withstand amazing storms. Why? Well, the main reason? Their roots. They go 5, 6 feet deep. The kind of tree you don't want to have near your foundation or your septic system because the roots win, right? They're too strong. They're too tough, right? And so that tree stands. That is the roots of joy, because it's rooted in the gospel, right? That 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 is the kind of roots you want. Because if you try to root in happiness, here's what happens. I'm constantly pursuing the next weekend, the next vacation, the next pleasure, the next comfort, the next you name it, right? Because that's going to bring me fulfillment. It's so shallow. It might be good in the moment, but it falls apart and any kind of storm hits in your life, you fall over. Like, think of the wealthiest people who can buy any experience. They have to start making up pleasures. I think I'm gonna go to Mars, like, oh my gosh. Because it's not enough, it's never enough, right? And so they, they just keep pursuing happiness and happiness, and all it takes is one phone call from the doctor and they're done, because they can't stand any obstacle. That's shallow roots. For the Christian, our roots are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the storm comes, you stand. And the race, whatever the obstacle, whatever comes against you, you keep running. You keep going. right? So we want to pursue joy. But I know sometimes we're like, okay, what is that, though? I can grasp happiness. Even though I'm not supposed to, I I, I can grasp what that is. What's joy? To pursue joy hopefully this is helpful, is pursuing it by looking both at the past, or all three of the past, the present, and the future. Think about your past. You should not stop taking time to look back at who you were before Christ. Especially if you were saved a little bit later of an age, right? Say uh, late teens, 20s, maybe later than that. You remember what your life was like. You remember how lost you felt you remember when Christ came and pulled you out of the muck and the yuck and the slop yard. You remember the amazing feeling of the baptism waters of salvation in Christ. Don't forget that. Who you were, who you would be. Now, if you're one of those that grew up in a Christian home and you don't even remember what it was like to not have a Bible in your room or in your home, the name of Jesus has been used. Right? And, and it's so sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes you can almost get a little bored of it or a little like, okay, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. You also should look back and don't compare like you're better than others, but look at other people's situations and say, oh my goodness, look at all those slop yards all over the place that God saved me from from the beginning. Right? Did you, did you uh, choose to be in a godly home where your parents loved Jesus? <laughs> you didn't choose that. God did. There's so many places you could be. There's so many lost places you could be and you're not, praise God. And as you look back and you preach the gospel to yourself, day after day, you are growing strong roots of joy. So it's the past, but it's also the present. What is that? How do you pursue joy in the present? Well, you're doing it right now. I am, I'm just sitting here, yeah. You could be on the beach right now, and I love the beach, I'm, not compl- I'm just saying, that's where you could be right now. You could be sitting in AC, binging Netflix, you could be sitting by the pool, you are here in this warm church, listening to this crazy pastor, why? Not because of me, you're here to gaze on the glories of Christ. That's why we sing and pray, and fellowship and hear the word and respond to the word, right? You're pursuing right now by being here joy. They met in the temple, so you meet in a church building, right? You, you, every time you go to your Bible study or your home group or even as a family, right, you talk about Jesus, you're pursuing joy. What is he doing in your life? You're pursuing joy. Every time you open God's word, you're pursuing joy. Every time you pray, and I'm not saying empty, careless phrases that you don't even know what you mean by. I'm saying praying what you got. As the storms of life come, Jesus, help me give me strength that's growing roots of gospel joy in the present you see because some of you i know you're going through some hard times or you will obstacles persecution right because you're trying to live out your life for christ and you are going through those and 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 here's the thing man those, those storms they can sweep away your money they could sweep away your job security, they could sweep away friends, they could sweep all kinds of stuff away. That cannot. Those storms of life cannot, ever take away your song of joy. Can't do it. Even if you're Job sitting in an ash heap, everything taken away and you're scratching at the boils on your skin, you can sing, "I know my redeemer lives." Joy. It'll, it'll uh, surpass the greatest storm, tornado, hurricane that will come in your life and you will endure because you're not rooted in circumstantial happiness. You're rooted in the joys of Christ. Keep pursuing it. Make that the aim of your life. Enjoy the happy times God's given you. Amen to them. But don't make your life about them. They're fleeting and shallow. And of course, past, present, Maybe the most important thing, especially when you're going through a storm, is future. Don't stop seeing your future. I think that's so important and means so much to us. There's a reason why, years ago, I stole an illustration from Francis Chan and meaning to do it once and I've done it about 500 times since then, right? Our church's mascot, if you've never seen it, let me introduce to you the rope of hope. And uh, most of you know what this is, but just in case, I want to remind you, this represents your life. Your life. Now, don't be like a life, like get, kind of take yourself out of the game. You're in it. This is your life, right? And, and, and so well, usually the first time you hear it, if that's you, you think, okay, 60, 70, 70, 80 years, 90 years, whatever, right? That's what this rope is. But That's not the case. That life is this green tape. And remember, it should not be this big. It should probably be about that big. I just want you to be able to see it but it's nothing in comparison to your everlasting, which has no end, by the way. You're made in the image of God, everlasting life. This green tape, this is where the obstacles are. This is where the pain is. This is where the, I don't know, I might give up. This is where the storms are And this little bitty green tape. And soda. grow in joy, you always fix your eyes on the future. Who are you? It's not this, it's this you in five, six, seven trillion years will be growing in joy in the presence of your king. You will be living life in a way you can't possibly fathom right now. The happiness of the trinkets of this world will be nothing to you. That's your future. That's who you are. And so whatever the storm, however alone you might feel, you keep your eyes fixed on hope, right? What does hope do? It gives you joy which then drives you through perseverance through the trials of this life. And so you continually pursue joy, past, present, and future. And I wanna leave you with this because some, for some reason, we hear a lot of sermons about this, if you've been going to church a while, and yet we still get shocked. Can't believe this is happening. Why are you shocked? Expect it. It's not the anomaly, it is the rule. Sure, if you're off course and you're over here living where God doesn't want you, you know no obstacles over there. But you're on, you're you're trying to run the race. Here they come. Comes the attacks. Here comes the persecution. It's coming. Expect it. Right? Expect that it's gonna happen so you're prepared. I'm not saying be fatalistic, fatalistic and live like Eeyore. Well, today's gonna be full of obstacles. Life is terrible, right? Live like Tigger, knowing that it's an Eeyore world. Does that make sense? All right, that came to my head last night. And so if it makes sense to you, great, write it down. Otherwise, don't worry about it, right? Live with joy, but know it's hard. And it's going to be hard. And it's okay, because you're pursuing joy. God has planted you, I mean, just close where I began, right where you are. Don't be like, well, those poor apostles, they had to endure so much more than me. Okay, well, God has you here. God has you now. He has you in your workplace, family, school, campus, church, community. You are here for a reason, and that reason, if you're in Christ, is the mission. And when you actually seek to live out that mission, here comes the persecution. Expect it, pursue joy, and you will withstand it each and every time. And looking to Jesus, you keep running, and enduring. And in the end, you will be counted worthy by Christ. And that's your goal. Who cares what people say? What does Christ say? And that's it. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for my brothers, sisters of all ages that are with us. I just, I love them, but I don't love them near the way you love us. Lord, you, Jesus, you endured the shame and the wrath that was in the cross. You endured the suffering and the pain. You endured all of it with joy because you knew that you were suffering the horrors of hell so that we don't have to. Remind us of that so we might praise you name above all names. Father, I pray for those who don't know that they've never put their faith in the Christ who died on the cross for them, that today you'd open their eyes, that they'd finally with all their heart believe that Jesus, you are Lord and you are Savior, you are the only way, and they need you. Oh, give them that faith. Desperately want to see them know you, Lord. So God, I pray for those of us who do, We would have courage. You've planted us exactly where we're supposed to be. Even if we don't want to be here, you've put us here. Remind us of that daily. Especially, Lord, when the storms come. Root us in the joy of Christ. Show us, Lord, reveal to us, (laughs) me included, just any time we're pursuing happiness is the end of our life. Not just enjoying it, but pursuing it. Show us that we might leave that pursuit and pursue joy. Teach us how to do it, Lord. For you are worthy of our lives. Not just here in the green tape, but forevermore, you are worthy. We look forward to singing praises to your name with your people, your church. all of eternity. Oh God, I pray you would give us, even as we sing now, a taste of the throne of heaven, what it will be like, so that we might keep going, keep believing, and keep running. It's in Jesus' glorious, holy, and precious name we pray. Amen. If you can, will you stand and uh, sing with us, church?